welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by Lakestar, one of the leading European venture capital firms. Lakestar's mission is to find, fund, and grow disruptive businesses that are enabled by technology and founded by exceptional entrepreneurs in Europe and beyond. Founded by Klaus Amels, the team's early investments include Skype, Spotify, Facebook, and Airbnb. And since raising its first fund in 2012, Lakestar now manages an aggregated volume of over 2.8 billion euros across their early and growth stage funds. The team actively advises and supports portfolio companies in marketing, recruitment, technology, product development, and regulatory insight, accompanying founders from seed to early stage, growth stage, or exit. Lakestar's games and media team has made 18 investments, including 1047 Games, Zebedee, Modulate, and Trace. If you're interested in learning more or getting in contact with the Lakestar team, simply go to lakestar.com or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Novic Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ovori. Today, we are talking to one of the busiest Web3 players in the entire ecosystem, with a ton <laughs> of initiatives in the works and a finger in many, many pies. We are talking about mythical games, uh, creators of licensed mobile football game NFL Rivals, which crossed 1 million downloads just a couple of months after its launch earlier this year, as well as Blanco's Block Party, a multiplayer universe available on the Epic Game Store. In addition, Mythical operates the Mythos Foundation, on which it partners with other traditional game developers, other Web3 developers, and esports and guild operators. And they also operate their own Mythical platform, through which Mythical publishes third-party developer games. And I'm getting out of breath just talking about all these things. Uh, there's also the, the Myth token and the small matter of about $300 million that they've raised in venture funding over the past couple of years, including a recent $37 million uh, Series C extension that was announced just a few weeks ago in late June of this year. So Mythical clearly has a lot going on uh, in both the Web2 and the Web3 spaces, and a lot of bets across its own initiatives, across third-party partner initiatives, and across multiple platforms and form factors. And so to discuss Mythical's strategy, plans going forward, tactics, and to talk more about how all of these various bets are working out, I'm very excited to invite to the pod today, Mythical's founder and CEO, John Linden. John is a longtime gaming veteran, entrepreneur. He has an incredibly experienced team, uh, which of course goes a long way to explaining his success in fundraising, as well as attracting numerous top-tier partners across the various initiatives. So with that little introduction, John, welcome to the pod. Great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. So with guests like yourself, um, longtime listeners will know, I always like to start with the kind of journey into Web3. Uh, tell yeah. us a little bit about your background uh, in games. You have a very long, very distinguished career uh, in gaming, mostly Web2, traditional gaming, uh, but some huge franchises in the mix there. Uh, love to talk a little bit about those. Just give us your background. And then I really, and our listeners really like to hear, what was the journey into Web3? What was the aha moment that caused you to go after Mythical and the opportunities that you're pursuing right now? Yeah, well, that's, uh, well, that's a lot, lot to answer there for sure. Um, been in gaming for a while. So I, I've been uh, I've, I've been very fortunate in my career to see several different flavors of gaming and I think from there, you, know, you start seeing a little bit of pattern recognition, which is great. <clears throat> but I really started my career uh, in gaming at um, Activision Blizzard. So obviously, they've been in the news quite a bit, and hopefully, uh, they get their deal done here. But uh, um, it's uh, you know, it's great, to, great to you know, really kind of um, you know, kind of got that start there. So really started in more of the traditional PC console business. Um, my first game was a game called Call of Duty. So I, I got thrown right into the Call of Duty franchise as one of the studio leads. Uh, one of the, you know, there's five game studios there. So, so we, we focused a lot on multiplayer and, and did some of the other initiatives around uh, Call of Duty as well. So we did, you know, some multiplayer stuff. We did a lot of, uh, um, uh, you know, mobile type pieces. We did a thing called Clan Wars for many years. So it was really kind of fun to be able to, you know, kind of start your career with a big title like that. Now, obviously there was a lot, you know, we kind of cut our teeth on that um, 
you know, big annual releases, uh, a lot of pressure to get that game out. But we really got to see a lot of you know, the inner workings of the gaming industry very quickly, you know. And so it was on, on that franchise for, uh, I did I shipped four Call of Duties, uh, was there for about five years, and really kind of became obsessed with mobile, which is what I thought next. You know, mobile is a growing industry. You know, we asked Bobby every every year, when can we get into mobile? When can we get into mobile? And his answer was generally, it's not big enough yet. I'm like, well, it's a $40 billion industry. He's like, it's not big enough yet. And so there's a kind of this, uh, uh, there's a group undercurrent uh, at Activision, and we just kind of started building our own mobile stuff a little bit to just test it out. And uh, <clears throat> so worked on a game called Skylanders Battlecast, which was really one of the first augmented reality games. We used physical trading cards and all that to kind of make, make these cards. We sold packs in the stores, which is where Skylanders toys were generally sold. So we did, you know, kind of physical cards that became digital assets, which was really interesting. And it kind of sparked that interest around digital assets and what, you know, this whole physical to digital type world. And, uh, you know, shortly after that game came out, um, Activision decided it's time for mobile. They ended up buying King and kind of the mobile strategy for Activision became pretty much Candy Crush. <laughs> you know, that was a big portion of it. Now, obviously, they've released a lot more since then, but ended up leaving there to kind of follow mobile uh, further. So left in 2016. Uh, started a game, uh, kind of merged with the company, and we created a company called Seismic Games. We did a game there called Marvel Strike Force in mobile, which uh, ended up being a you know top twenty five game for many years. So we got very very uh, fortunate that our, our our paths in mobile we hit some big success there too. We did another game with Wizards of the Coast. We did the Magic the Gathering game. We did a Jeopardy game that uh, we had a, you could voice recognition Jeopardy. You could play along with like the Apple TV and things like that. Uh, so we got to experiment a lot of things. And then um, fortunately for us, the Niantic came and kind of bought that company only after you know, two years after we had kind of really gotten into the, the heat of it. And so 2018 came along and, you know, was really starting to think of what comes next. And I think we had seen a lot of trends happening in gaming. We had seen things that we had been frustrated with our careers and really thought things about you know, digital ownership and and tradable secondary economies and all that. We really believe that was the next the future. So I ended up kind of leaving the Niantic deal. I stayed on as an advisor for a little bit, but we started very early in this space. I don't think we came at it for blockchain games or Web3. We came at it just thinking about how that technology could be used to solve a lot of these challenges we've seen in gaming. That was kind of the, the initial the initial path in. You know, I think, I think um, you know, for us, um, we started seeing a lot of really interesting things happening. You know, I think the biggest moment for me you know, I was a game maker, you know, and, and we, we would, you know, I'd spend 30 or $40 in free to play games, mostly to support developers more than anything. I wasn't ever a whale, considered a whale. And then next thing I know that, you know, these little things called crypto kitties came out and I bought like $600 of 2D images of cats. And I'm like, what just happened here? Because this is not my normal behavior. And I think to me, that's really what kind of started to spark that digital asset concept. You know, it's just like, wow. Um, for me, it was, it was, cool. It was fun. The whole idea of smart contracts and you could program these things or whatever, that was really appealing. But more importantly to me was, was more around, this is a shift in consumer behavior, right? Yeah. Like it's no longer just buying digital entertainment. I can decide what to do. You know, I can decide, I have the decision as a consumer on what do I do with these digital assets. And I think that was really the piece that, that, that kind of hooked us right away. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is why I love doing this question for folks such as yourself, you know, who have a long career in gaming, um, you know, you, you've seen a lot, you've done a lot. I, I made some notes here, you know, obviously you studied up in your, your past before this episode, but you know, we game makers have a lot in common, you know, call of duty is a game that I never worked on. I wish I had, but I, that I'm still to this day addicted to it. I love that game for console. Um, you know, everybody has their own favorite games across different mm -hmm. platforms. Uh, and we're going to get to this question in a second here. In fact, my, my very next question, which is, you know, as, as game makers, as gamers, you know, we recognize different patterns across different platforms, across different technologies. Um, and I think that the journey that you've had um, into the digital ownership piece in Web3 is very similar to to mine, for sure. CryptoKitties also was the, yep. the very first, where it's like hundreds of dollars. I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, yeah. But but it was a, I didn't regret it for one second. It was more of a, hmm, yep. this is really interesting. We're tapping yeah. into something here as, as, as game developers and as gamers. Uh, and so, so I love to hear that journey and it is that aha moment um that really clicks i think uh and, yep. and correct me if i'm wrong i don't want to speak for you here but i feel like that's that moment where it's like oh yeah th this is a different way of playing this game this is a different way of being part of this ecosystem this community um this franchise this ip it's a different way of engaging uh, yeah, that's that's exactly right. We we've seen we've seen dozens of of things in gaming that you know felt broken a little bit. You know, um, you know, to me, what's really interesting is is watching the esports kind of industry kind of grow up. 
you know, we got to be very involved with a lot of the, the early, you know, call the call of duty, you know, um, live streamers and, and groups like optic gaming back in the day. And now, you know, hundred thieves and all these different groups that have emerged from that. And what was really interesting is a lot of them struggled, right? Cause they were making, they were very, very influential, you know, streamers and brands getting involved in all these groups that are very influential in gaming, but they weren't really part of the economy. You know, they were, they were monetized on YouTube or Twitch or sponsorships or whatever. And to me, we just kind of looked at it and said, man, that seems like, it seems like it's time to bring them into the game economies, right? How do we do that? We even saw this stuff. I won't name names on it, but with Call of Duty, I know there was a brand partnership at one point, um, big, big brand uh, IP, and they wanted to do kind of these soldiers in Call of Duty. And, and we just couldn't figure out the pricing because they thought that their IP was worth more than our IP, right? And to me, it started sitting back saying, we saw the thought of these problems for a while, like, man, it feels like there needs to be almost a business development layer, right? Something that creators can tap into, that players can tap into, that that esports and all these groups can kind of democratize these game economies and be part of these worlds that people are spending more and more and more and more time in. So that was really kind of the thesis. And then when that crypto case came along, you're just kind of like, ah, this might be the tech for it, right? Now, I think that the downside at the time was, you know, I still, you know, I still probably to this day, there's certain times you'll send an Ethereum transaction to somebody, you kind of hold your breath for 30 seconds and hope it freaking shows up, right? So it's still been, I still say it's, it's still pretty, pretty early. Um, even, even now, I mean, people have said this for, for years and it still feels pretty early. You know, I think that's one of the challenges we've thought about too, is that, you know, you talk to groups like Nintendo, right? And they're such an amazing group to work with, but they're kind of like, yeah, I don't like these private key things. Gamers lose their password all the time. And, and I don't know if they're going to know the significance of if I set this private key down, I'm going to lose Zelda, right? So there's still a lot of, of things I think we have to address. I think it's getting better, but there's still we're still a little ways out, you know. And I think we're we're you know what I what I think I'm most fascinated about, and I think why it takes a little bit longer with this. This is not a new platform, right? Mm. This is a new paradigm, right? Yeah. So it affects everything, and and I think that's the really it's the exciting part. It's also you know the scary part a little bit. It takes time. It takes policy change. It takes integration, it takes education, and it, and it takes a lot of technology behind the scenes to do it well. So Yeah. And you know what else it also takes? It takes a lot of shots on goal uh, yep. to figure it out. And that's, exactly. that's actually perfect segue, uh, we couldn't plan this any better, into the next question, which is, you've got a lot of different things going on. Obviously, you raised yeah. a lot of funding. We'll get to that question later on in the episode here. Um, but I think one of the most interesting things to me you know, as a studio, as a developer, as a company, as a business, um, you guys are working on mobile with NFL rivals and the app stores and, you know, kind of hopefully co-developing some of the, uh, the policies that are shifting, that are improving all the time, in my opinion. Um, you, you've got Blanco's Block Party, Epic Game Store, you know, totally different form factor, arguably borderline game or, you know, metaverse play or, you know, like IP play, like there's a lot of interesting things going on there. You've got the, uh, the publisher arrangements and partnerships that you guys are working on. You have your own token, you know, you have the foundation. So you've got a lot of things going on, just like I mentioned in the intro and yes, it takes a lot of shots on goal. I'm very curious to hear, um, you know, when you have a paradigm shift, like I think both of us agree and a lot of our listeners agree with, with web three. Um, so how do these all fit together? What is kind of your strategy as you are taking these shots on goal, as you are experimenting, as you're trying different things? Um, many of these are not, they're not cheap, right? Like yep. NFL rivals, you've got the NFL license, right? And yep. I know from experience working with license IP is, is difficult. Yep. Um, yep. You know, Blancos, you're building IP. It's an IP play from scratch. That's also mm -hmm. really hard to do, yep. right? And to do both of those at the same time <laughs> is arguably even harder. And then you've got the whole piece around the myth token and the economics around that, the tokenomics around that, the legal side of that as well. Yep. So yep. very, very curious to hear uh, at the risk of creating a very long question. Um, yep. I'd love to hear how you are thinking about all these different plays, how they come together and what's the through line through it all. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's one of the things you have to be very careful in this space, especially when we started in 2018, it was like green pastures, right? You're, you just kind of come in from the space and you're just like, oh my God, there's so much we can do. Yeah. And I think for us, we tried to stay very focused. You know, we've had some, you know, we kind of, one of our core core goals and our kind of principles here at Mythical is we call ourselves, we, we one of our things is we are pathfinders, right? And I think that's something we try and instill in everything we do here is that, man, and we talk to the team about this all the time is like, yeah, there's not really, you know, something we can compare it against because it hasn't happened before. And I think that's exciting. It's scary. You know, uh, it takes a lot of effort to kind of do that. So I think we, we, you know, we try not to, we're not trying not to boil the ocean, but we're trying to add a series of tasks that do expand on each other. Right. And, and I think that's the key. And, and frankly, you know, I think 
we have spent some of that time of, of building, I mean, even the blockchain choices we made in 2018 are different than what we're making now. So there's definitely been some learnings and some, some I wouldn't say missteps, but some brick walls we start to hit a little bit. Um, but I think, I think for us, we're, we're really trying to keep it fairly focused. So for example, um, we didn't build a platform right away, right? We, we've come at this as a, at an angle of almost a studio model to start with, right? So we started off with Blanco's, We've added Nitro, uh, Nitro Nation, which is actually going beta today, which is exciting. It's actually going to oh, go probably worldwide in the app stores about a week from now, and you'll start seeing that game a lot more. We have a game in racing. We have a game in sports. We have a game, a uh, sandbox-style game, right, with Blancos or a party game. And, and um, you know, we, we've the reason we kind of went that direction is we have built a lot of tech. We've kind of built our own chain tech. But, again, we did that somewhat out of a necessity you know, um, to, to basically blend those app store relationships and be completely compliant with the app stores and take fiat money from gamers that don't understand blockchain necessarily. There wasn't a solution out there. So we kind of kind of adopted our own. Frankly, same thing with marketplace tech. I mean, there's been a lot of marketplaces out there. But one thing that comes to that we've learned and, and we, we kind of understood a little bit before is that gamers are not crypto traders. They're, they're just not. They're not financial traders. They're consumers, right? They think in terms of liquidity. They think in terms of fun. They don't think in terms of like bids and floors and, and you know, all the words that you kind of find out in, in the crypto space. You know, win moon is not necessarily in a gamer vocabulary, right? It's really about, hey, I got five race cars. I want $100 US for them thing and make, 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 that, make that happen, right? So, so we've kind of adopted, we kind of built some of this out of necessity, but I'd say we really have kind of two main products at the end of the day. Um, and one kind of newer product that we'll be introducing a lot more. And we've, we've shown, shown a little bit around streaming and I'll, I'll explain that a little later why we're thinking about that. But, you know, the main two products we have is we have kind of our own blockchain tech. At the end of the day, though, it's built on an EVM uh, tech stack, right? So it's, it's basically an EVM chain. Um, you know, on top of that, we've written a couple systems to make it fully, fully compliant with Apple and Google, with Xbox, with PlayStation, with things like that. So really, that's a product we have, the mythical chain or the mythos chain, we're kind of now calling it. Um, and then we have the marketplace tech. And the marketplace tech is really, really built around concepts like liquidity and making it very simple for consumers to come in and out and bringing that into the game itself, bringing that marketplace experience into that Web2 kind of feel, right? So, so that's been the main two products we've really focused on behind the scenes. Um, and, and then on top of that, we, yeah, we have a couple games. Now, each of these games, Blancos, we had a developer that helped us, right? So we had a group called Third, Third Kind Games out of the UK. They were the primary developer of Blancos. Uh, we have, um, you know, we had, a, we actually had an intern, we had bought a studio that became NFL Rivals. So that, that was an internal studio, small team though, eight or nine people, amazing team out of Brighton. So we acquired that team, kind of accu-hired that team to build that. And then uh, Nitro Nation is actually a, a, a second party deal, right? So it's a group called CM Games out of Estonia. They have an existing franchise called Nitro Nation. They know how to make these racing titles. They've made five or six of them at this point. So the idea of trying to recreate everything, if we were trying to recreate a racing title with a brand new studio on Web3, there's no way we could pull that off. So we're trying to be the experts around that Web3 side, and then we're really finding companies that know what they're doing uh, to partner with us um, in various fashions to help get these games out the door. So that's one way we've managed that. The foundation side and the token side, we were pretty late on that. We, we were trying to hold off. Our, our big view is like, let's not, we didn't want to have a speculative token. We never want to have a speculative token. We've never marketed this token, right? We wanted to help get a foundation off the ground that there was a token attached that anybody that wanted to adopt that token could adopt it. And that's how we set out with Mythos Foundation. So we don't own the token. We don't own the foundation. We just kind of helped to get it off the ground. And it has its own special counsel. It's 23 companies now around the world that are part of that foundation. There's there's proposals coming in now from third-party independent studios. It's really cool to kind of see that see that take off. So we did a lot of work to help kind of get it you know get it out there and get those connections started. But it, it's kind of taken a life of its own, and it's not something we actually we own. So uh, I had it coming because I asked a big question. I uh, got a big answer. I love it. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. So I'm going to start with, yep. um, you know, uh, with the gaming lens. Um, you know, yep. the titles obviously got to stand for themselves. It's great to build technology and, and a platform play to enable a lot of experiences in the future. But obviously, the experiences themselves obviously need to stand on their own two feet and actually be yep. successful products in and of themselves. And then that's how the flywheel gets going. Um, so why don't we start with Blancos? Because that was your first title. Uh, I actually sure. didn't know that you had you had uh, uh, another studio that helped you develop yeah. it out of the UK. So that's that's news to me. Um, here's what I do know. I know it gen generated a lot of excitement. Uh, you had a, yeah. a million plus pre-registrations before it was even live. Yeah. Uh, and it's been out for, I believe, just 
under a year, at least in, in full launch, like probably a bit more than that and kind of, you know, with beta and, and private launch. How has it been performing? Uh, and, well, let's start with two questions here. Um, question number one, what was the goal with Blanco's? Right. Yep. Um, you know, as an experienced game developer, to me, Blanco Strikes says, yes, it's it's party play, but it's less game, more kind of metaverse, right? Um, and and to me feels more like an IP play. You can absolutely push back on any of these these yeah. characterizations, by the way, when when uh, uh, when it comes to it. Um, and then the second piece is how has it performed uh, in yep. terms of your expectations uh, up until this point, and what have you learned as you're yep. then working on different titles? And then we'll shift gears onto other other titles. Yeah, Blank, Blanco's is obviously has a, a very special place in our heart because it was it was definitely our, our champion of first, right? Uh, that game, you know, Jamie Jackson, our co-founder, really had the concept of this this game. He was literally, we were kind of talking about blockchain and marketplace and all that. And he's our creative director. He's He's been in the game. He was another studio head at Activision Blizzard. And I, I remember he was in, in like my gazebo in the backyard when we first started just sketching something. And that basically became Billy Bones. And so the idea behind Blanco's was really we wanted something that was pop culture that we could really drive into a lot of content. I mean, to be real honest, the game kind of shifted a few times. The, the reason they're called Blanco's is the initial idea was they were going to start as blank silhouettes, right? And anybody could kind of take that and resell it. And, and basically the idea behind that, and the reason we got into vinyl toys is one, we're kind of vinyl toy nerds ourselves. We love that audience. We love the artist community there. Um, you know, the, 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 um, the, the kid robots and all of these amazing, amazing things that have kind of predated that game were, were really great. But the, the thing we found really interesting about that is the, the physical physical figurine, you know, the, the actual vinyl toys themselves, how that industry started is they started very similar. They started with blank silhouettes, right? Couple kid robot silhouettes. Artists would take those blank silhouettes. They would paint them. They would build their own community and they would resell them to their community, right? And we thought, what a, what a perfect kind of uh, uh, analogy to what we want to try and do digitally, right? So that was kind of the reason behind blank, Blanco's. It, had, it did kind of take a life of its own. I'd say we 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 definitely learned a lot from that game. I think we we definitely had some challenges between hardcore gameplay and social and all that. And and that that's we struggled a little bit with that. I still think we're struggling a little bit with that. The other challenge we had with that game is that game was originally going to be made for mobile, and uh, we went to Apple and Google in 2018, 2019, and they're just like, uh-uh, not happening. So we're like, well, crap. Um, why don't we go to PC? Because then we can kind of call the shots at least. And I and yeah, we found we found a nice run with that. Um, we're definitely not done with the Blanco's IP where you're going to see some new stuff from us. Uh, we'll probably announce fairly soon here, some new things there. We're definitely wanting to kind of reinvest behind that IP because that was one of the things, you know, it's really interesting Nico. that's, I've been in the, in the industry for a while and it's very hard for East to meet West in any game title. We tried it at Skylanders. We tried it at Call of Duty, taking a Western IP and taking it East is nearly impossible. We've had a weird thing with Blanco's though, to where it's kind of globally accepted. So we, we really found some amazing pieces there. In fact, one of our early board members was the uh, CEO of Sanrio, Hello Kitty. So he, so he knew a lot about the space and he's kind of helped guide us a little bit. But he gave us one of the best compliments I think we've had on building a new IP is he said, he said you know, you could put Blancos up on a shelf next to Kid Robot, next to Hello Kitty, next to anything else. And they already have, they, they, they have an aesthetic. You can tell which one's a Blanco. And that was really cool for us. So we love that IP. The We've had some challenges with that game though. So um, it's actually monetized quite well. Um, you know, I mean, the, the lifetime value per customer is strong. The uh, players that come in and spend money are spending very, you know, good value there. Um, I think the challenges have really been a couple. One, it's now kind of what, what I consider built on older tech on the marketplace. And we want to move that to the new marketplace tech that we've, we've been building over the last 18 months. So we got a little bit of work to move it over to the new system. But the biggest challenge for us, honestly, has been cost of acquisition. Uh, to really get that game to 30, 40, 50 million players, which is what our goal is. Um, you know, we want to, we want to get it there. We want to get a massive amount of players behind that game because that IP has a life of its own, right? We've had so many toy manufacturers reach out about making physical product. We've had, you know, streaming services reach out about TV stuff. There's a lot behind that IP, but we can't necessarily do that with a million and a half players. So we've, we've struggled a little bit on the cost acquisition, buying players into a PC, non-Steam PC game, even with Epic Game Store support, it's been expensive. It's been way more than we make per player. So we had to kind of retool that a little bit. We did pull back the marketing a little bit, you know, six months ago. And we've been really retooling that of how do we get that out in a faster and better way. And so you'll definitely be seeing more soon. But, you know, it's been our it's been our champion of first, right? It's been our, uh, you know, it's what we became kind of known for. We are in love with all these characters. And we want to make sure this beauty of these kind of concepts of Web3 is whatever we do with that franchise, everybody comes along with the ride, right? 
everything we we've every Blanco can come along with future endeavors. And that's one thing we're really excited about. So I think you're going to see a lot more about Blancos in the future. Um, we we're, 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 we want to kind of keep, uh, retooling that and making it stronger and stronger as an IP. So. Yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, I, I love the Blanco's IP. Um, I have personally struggled a little bit with understanding. You said you've got the gameplay versus social challenges. I was kind of hinting at those with the question. Yep. Um, and I appreciate you kind of, uh, owning it and, and being upfront about it because that, that to me is probably the biggest issue I have with it is I love the IP. Honestly, I love yep. the IP. It's so recognizable. Yep. Um, you can absolutely build all kinds of products on top of that. Um, yep. on the gaming side, that's where I've had the, the hardest time. I'm yep. just like, Hmm, I'm not quite sure what to do with this as a, as a yep. gamer. Uh, so I wish you the best of luck building out that IP because really it definitely deserves. Um, and I'm not surprised to hear, by the way, that it has a life of its own. Yeah. Uh, it is definitely one of those pretty iconic uh, yeah. pieces of IP that when treated right with the right vehicle, so to speak, I think that can really live on its own. Yeah, we, we, we think the same thing. But I think like I said, what we ended up with, we had an amazing build system. In fact, the build system, the creation in there was amazing. But, you know, that is, it was a challenge, right? We were kind of, you know, we didn't want to bite off too much. We were trying to test a bunch of things. And, you know, you could use that same build IP to build all types of 3D metaverse type spaces. You could use the same thing to build shooters. You can build the same thing to build races. When you put them all together, it gets hard. You know, you end up with a lot of different uh, conflicting personalities, right? You have some hardcore shooters that don't want to do races. You have races that don't understand how to do a shooter well. You have some people that just want to freaking chat in their in their avatars, you know, with these blancos. So yeah, we're we're definitely trying to kind of focus that. And and I think that's that's the big lesson there. Um, you know, you can't ever set out to build Roblox. That's Roblox is a phenomenon. You know, you can't plan to build Roblox. You have to kind of get there, right? And so I think for us. We definitely are going to keep reinvesting in IP, and we'll, we'll we'll get we'll get some pretty awesome stuff out there very soon. We have we have a bunch of projects in work. So yeah, well, I wish you the best of luck with that, and that's actually a great. Um, I don't know if this was designed this way or or planned this way, but NFL Rivals arguably solves the IP problem by leaning that's on cool. the NFL IP, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Yes, of course, you got your own characters, you got your own art style, of course you do, right? But um, it's almost in my mind, uh, you know, it's almost the polar opposite of Blanco's where you've gone and you've built your own IP and these very recognizable characters, but didn't necessarily have the right vehicle, certainly from a gaming side, in my perspective, to, to get there. Whereas with NFL Rivals, you've said, okay, or this is what it looks like from the outside in, at least. It's like, hey, we learned a whole bunch from Blanco's. It's hard to build your own IP. Let's take the NFL IP or something similar, something as huge as that, and then build a great mobile gaming experience on top of that that doesn't necessarily scream Web3, doesn't scream yep. blockchain. You can play it as a Web2 experience um, without getting too hung up on wallets yeah. and and That's the right. chain and all that kind of stuff, all the technology, the boring stuff that gamers don't really care about and shouldn't. Yep honestly care about. So tell us a little bit more. This is a very recent product. You launched it earlier this year. Uh, in the first couple of months, you have uh, you did a great piece with uh, Dean over at GamesBeat where you talked yeah. about some of the metrics. Uh, love to kind of get an update on some of those. Uh, yep. Listeners, please go and read the Dean Takahashi Pete. Uh, piece and games beat um, on NFL Rivals and how it's been doing. But you got a million installs in just a couple of months. You had some really strong sounding metrics uh, early on. Tell us a little bit more about those and how it's holding up um, you know, over the longer, over the longer run. Yeah. So a, a couple things opened up from Blanco's into, into NFL. One was that was mobile, you know, and, and mobile has a historically has a much cheaper cost of acquisition than PC. Yeah. So we're like, okay, that's interesting. Uh, we went pretty early to Apple and Google and kind of said, Hey, here's what we want to build and here's what we want to do. And, and I uh, got, you know, kind of started, started that, that path of how do we put that out? Uh, we talked to a lot of the sports leagues to be real honest. Uh, a couple of them came to us and we went to a couple of them. And really kind of found the perfect fit with NFL. NFL, you know, it's predominantly U.S., uh, which is some um, can be a challenge on a global global audience and, and to buy users. Um, but it's a, it's the the affinity of NFL consumers to that brand is remarkable and it's really fun. So we kind of went in there. Now, obviously, we're going into a game space that has a pretty dominant um, player, right? I mean, Madden's been there for 34, mm -hmm. 35 years. I mean, love those guys. EA Sports, we know a lot of that team. Um, an amazing product. But what we wanted to do is we want to do something different, right? So one is, you know, the way we kind of viewed the sports rights was there's kind of three main categories. One, you have simulation, which is, you know, pretty much dominated by EA and Take-Two. And that was rightfully so. Those are hard games to make. They're expensive games to make. They're trying to recreate the sport completely down to the penalty, um, you know, digitally. And there's some great, I mean, the animation system, all the work that goes into those games is, is immense. So we didn't want to play that space. Like that's that's their that, that's their space. Let's stay out of that. Um, then you have on the other side, you have kind of fantasy. In fantasy, you know, you have so rare has done a great job in fantasy, 
but that's not us. You know, we wanted that interactivity. We wanted to have more agency player agency than fantasy could offer, right? Fantasy is great because you could tap into some, you know, some simpler mechanics, but it doesn't have that interactive piece. So our inspiration was, well, what if we kind of pulled a little from each, you know? And then the idea there was there's been a genre of gaming that I think is frankly beloved by consumers. So we call it, we call it arcade, arcade team manager is what we're going after, but it's kind of that, that arcade style, right? A little bit to where it's like, um, you know, NFL blitz and NBA jam and all of these games that have kind of in our past that we're, we're so hooked on. We're like, let's go after that kind of area and we'll pull, you know, the, the player agency or we'll pull the kind of player agency, the interactivity um, to where you're actually calling plays and you're making moves and you're kicking field goals and all that. But let's let's kind of have you can mix up your team. You know, I can have my fantasy team and I can really put whoever I want on my lineup. Right. And that now can drive into scarcity and we can have real good concepts around Hey, I want to build the best team. I want to be the general manager to build the best team out there. And I'm going to trade and sell and play and all that type of stuff while I'm having to be good at the game. So I still have to be able to play the game to kind of fully move forward. So that was kind of our, our idea there. The NFL loved it. Um, you know, it took us a while to kind of get there and get, get you know, with, with any of these leagues, you actually have two contracts and, and there's very few companies that have both. So we have both the NFL contract as well as the Players Association contract. And you kind of, to what we are doing or what EA does, you have to have both. Um, and so that took a little while. That was, that was a, a challenge, but the game's done well. And we've been very, very proud of it. I think the two stats I'm most proud of so far, and the game's only been out about 60 days, which is great. Actually a little, the, yeah, I think the, yeah, just, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe 60, 90 days at this point, we picked up a million players almost right off the bat, um, which was great. We're sitting, you know, we're sitting, uh, nice growth. We're seeing tens and tens of thousands of players a day coming in, which is great. Um, well, my favorite two stats, I think in that game right now, one is that we're after, you know, I think we have about 38. 36 or 38,000 rating or reviews now on the app store, we're sitting at a 4.8 out of five, which is, you know, up there with Madden. It's up there with FIFA. And I think that was one thing we had a couple of naysayers are like, Oh, you have, you know, kind of these web three concepts behind the, you're going to get review bombed. You're, 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 you know, you're just, it's just not going to work. And I think we've been able to blend those two worlds together perfectly to where, you know, people, people are loving it. You know, they're not complaining about sellable economies. So that's been a big, big moment for us is that we are reviewed right where all of the big titles are right now. So that's been a big, big thing for us. The one I love the most, though, is I think we're averaging, I think on iOS, we're averaging nearly two hours of gameplay per player per day. And that blows my mind. Um, they are, we have people really playing that game. And that's on, you know, that's on average right now, across, you know, across all the players in the game. So we're very, very pumped about that. Um, people are playing the game heavily. You know, and now I think for us, it's always opening up other other opportunities. Now, you know, we're going back to Apple. You know, we're the number one sports game in, in May. We're the number one action game. We actually beat out Roblox on on uh, in, in May in terms of the number one action game. Um, it's going to allow us now as we go into the actual season. We're still in the off season, which is great. Yeah. You know, we launched the game during the off season. The game season starts next month, or uh, sorry, a month and a half from now. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be ready for that September 7th. So we got some more functionality coming. We got some new features coming. And we've now been able to kind of see how do we balance this kind of Web 2 and Web 3 economy together. You know, there's some things, again, we're learning from and we're trying to improve it fast. But um, it's, it's a great start for us. We're really, really excited. And in fact, there's some interesting data on there, too, to where, you know, if you take a game, even like a FIFA, right, which is massive. And, you could, and the other thing we love about NFL is it's the right number of audience, right? Madden is about 25 million players on Madden Mobile. You know, uh, we're, we're closing in on two. I think we'll be at 10 this year, maybe 12 this year. So we're at a really, really nice uh, growth on that game. Um, but then there's other sports out there. FIFA Mobile has 850 million installs, right? So there's definitely other bigger sports leagues, but we love the affinity of NFL and what we can prove out. But we're, we're seeing great, great numbers. I think 15% of all of our revenue is coming from fees from the secondary already. And that's still with the marketplace outside of the game. Imagine what will happen when we can get that marketplace in the game. Right. So we think that this is going to be a great one. I think it's going to break open some things for the entire Web3 industry. Right. In terms of how do you get it in the game? How does how does Apple and Google kind of kind of, uh, you know, want this to work within their ecosystems, which is a very important thing. And we've been very fortunate. We were just quoted, I think, a couple of weeks ago with Google Play. We've kind of helped, you know, kind of partner with them and help define how do these new economies work and how do, how do we basically kind of, you know, open those policies up to do more projects like this.
Yeah, we had the uh, SoRare guys actually on uh, episode just a couple of weeks ago, maybe a few weeks ago now. And, uh, you know, we're obviously we're talking about soccer and football manager is my favorite game, um, which is soccer management. So yep. uh, obviously, you know, football, soccer is is the, the biggest game on the planet. And to your point, you know, FIFA Mobile has 850 million versus yep. you know, 25 million for, for Madden. So obviously there's a lot of room for growth there. Um, I think one of the interesting pieces that you're calling out here, uh, I have two questions, or two following questions for NFL Rivals. One, one yep. is more about the Web3 angle. Um, um, but first, I wanted to just pick on something you mentioned, which is, you know, you've gotten yourself to about 2 million um, installs so far. It sounds like you're happy with the growth of tens of thousands per day, new installs coming in. That's great. Expect to get to about 10 million, 12 million, maybe later on this year. That would be awesome. What is your, so this is a, a, a two-part question. What is your UA strategy on this? Yep. Um, and then, because UA on mobile, I agree with you to something else you said earlier, is easier than for PC, that is yep. true, cheaper. It is still very expensive these days, <laughs> very saturated, especially post uh, IDFA apocalypse, you know, with Apple yep. and, and so so on. And you know, we don't need to cover that on this episode, but but it is definitely more challenging than it has been in the past. And then the second question, which is related, is how does the Web three component uh, unlock UA differently, if if, yep. if if at all? I'm open to being you know, hearing that actually it doesn't make any difference whatsoever, but how does the web three component and presumably the higher monetization, presumably the higher stickiness engagement levels, correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, how does that unlock different channels for UA or different LTVs that then allow you to be more aggressive? Yeah, no, that's a great, great point. So, so I think fundamentally the, the cost of acquisition is, I mean, it's almost an order of magnitude different between PC and, and mobile, even, even in the post IDFA world, right? We're still, you know, yeah, we're, we're seeing great, you know, great numbers. They've crept up a little bit again off season. So it's a little bit harder to find all that user base. Uh, we're not spending a ton yet on it. We're going to be turning the afterburners on um, with the season mm-hmm. kickoff, which is great. Um, but I think a couple things. Um, one, you know, big games like like an NFL, you know, hopefully you, you get some love from Apple and Google over time, you know, and there's ways to get kind of in front of that audience. There are a lot more channels, though, which is interesting. So you know, we were seeing, honestly, we were seeing nearly $40, $45 cost acquisition on PC. It was that high after you get through the the core, right? The core Web3 is great to come in. They support a lot of it. But if you really want to get to millions and millions of players, you're looking at that kind of range if you're not on Steam. Steam helps if you hit the algorithm right. Steam, though, without the algorithm, you're in the same challenge, right? Mm-hmm. So so it's it's more limiting on what you can do with PC, right? We're, we're spending most of our effort around, you know, building that community, or going after YouTube and Facebook and, and Twitter and stuff like that. Uh, mobile has a lot more opportunities to kind of kind of grow that, which is great. Um, so we've been testing a lot. Um, we're finding you know things like TikTok and Reddit and other other channels, Apple search ads, obviously things like that are great ways to get in if it feels like Web two. If it goes to Web three, I think you close down that audience. So I think it, it in our case, we are marketing the game like a traditional mobile game. Um, where where does that Web three kick in? But like I said, we're already seeing we're seeing um, amazing ARP DAOs in that game. So that game is doing great. Um, it's completely free to play. But we're already, I'd say, we're competing with Madden, you know, on ARP DAOs already. And we're only seeing about, you know, we're already seeing ten, you know, twelve to fifteen percent, let's say, of net revenue is coming from the secondary. That secondary is outside of the game. And we've been working very closely with the first parties of how do we bring that in the game and how do we do it to where we can kind of play nice with everybody and, and we're very close. So we actually think, you know, right now. That could increase, you know, I mean, we think that ARP DAOs on secondary could actually exceed ARP DAOs of primary, right? So how does that help you? Well, if you, if you know, as, as you know from mobile, um, literally, you know, um, a small amount of LTV can be the difference of success or failure yeah. in mobile. It's gotten that, you know, um, it's gotten that tight. So if we can suddenly have another 50% of revenue coming from secondary and that secondary, it's not even people paying us, right? It's people paying other people and we just get a little fee off of that for, for helping complete that transaction through the, through the smart contracts. Um, it makes a big, big difference. In fact, yeah, I think you, I think you could see, um, I, I think what you're going to see is, is a lot of, is, is that data starts coming out more and more. And I think as we start getting to games that start hitting 10, 15, 20 million players, I think you're going to see many, many, many game developers that are like, they're almost going to be a disadvantage, right? If you, it's almost mm-hmm. like you don't have that extra revenue stream, you know, what do you do? You know, and, and I think that's going to be really interesting for game developers over time. But um, what we're also seeing, though, is we, we see people come back and come back and come back. I mean, they start viewing it differently. In fact, a lot of the players don't realize that they can sell the items. You know, a lot of them are literally just coming in, playing, building their team. And we're working on things like bidding. We're working on things with the in-game marketplace with Apple and Google to where I think when you have players come in and you're like, wait a second, somebody just offered me money for 
Patrick Mahomes? Like, what what does that mean, right? And it's the best way you could onboard somebody into Web3 is give them something that matters to them, right? Like, you mean I can... I bought this, you know, a couple months ago for 10 bucks in a pack. And now I'm, you know, now, now somebody's offered me a hundred dollars us for it. Um, I'm going to figure out what that means. Right. So we think that it, it, it becomes a really interesting piece of the puzzle. We think it becomes a very interesting piece of the monetization strategy, which ultimately leads to the cost acquisition. I think what we're also excited about is it's starting to lead to new gameplay pretty heavily. And that makes it fun. There's new meta loops within these games you know, Nitro Nation, we can talk about in a minute, but we actually are working on some really cool pieces to where it's a gameplay model you couldn't pull off without Web3, right? And that's when people really start to take notice. Yeah, I, and I think, you know, something you said resonates very strongly with me. I do think that at some point, Web3, uh, when done best, it's almost invisible. Yeah. But then there's that aha moment, not just for developers like ourselves, where it's like something clicks, like we talked about earlier on, um, but it clicks for the players too, yep. right? And it's it's... I'm first and foremost, I'm having fun. I'm playing this game. Yeah. I'm not playing to earn. I think that meta has, you know, lived past its its useful life, certainly yeah. at this point. Um, but I do think that when somebody realizes like, oh, okay, uh, the effort I put into this game that I enjoy anyway is actually worth something to somebody else who yeah. also enjoys this game but happens to be more cash rich but time poor than I am, right. I think that unlocks something incredibly interesting. Yeah. Uh, we're not there yet, anywhere near there yet. But once we get there, that is going to unlock uh, much higher LTVs. And that is actually, to your point, going to be interesting to see what does that do to overall LTVs in the ecosystem? And what does yeah. that do to the competitiveness on, of more, air quotes, traditional developers who don't necessarily have that unlock? They may have very highly monetizing games. Of course they do, because you know, presumably that's why they're leading <laughs> the pack and able to do UA at scale. Yeah. But they don't necessarily have that like extra layer of whales in their games that are contributing at levels not seen in traditional web too. So I think that's a really interesting point. I'm not really asking for, it's not a question, it's more of an observation, but that's something that I've been noodling on quite a bit, which is once you start to get those web three components building into more traditional gameplay, that's going to be a very interesting moment for every developer to take note of because it is going to impact LTVs and it's going to yeah. impact UA budgets, especially as Apple and Google become more and more, not lenient, I think that's the wrong word, but are more accepting yeah. of different kinds of gameplay and different kinds of economies, which we're definitely seeing. Um, no. Okay. I want to talk about Nitro Nation um, okay. because uh, I think that's, again, another example of you guys leaning into a different genre. You're working, it sounds like, with a partner out of Estonia who's done a whole bunch of these games, knows how to make the game play. So you're reducing the risk on that front, certainly on the design risk side of things. How are you integrating Web3 there? How are you working with these third-party developers? Um, yeah, tell us more about these yeah. these kinds of relationships and how you're going to do more of them. Yeah, so Nitro Nation has been a, uh, another project we've been working on for a while. Uh, we ha had a group called CM Games, and uh, CM Games is they're an amazing studio. They've had they've had like I said a, a bunch of different a bunch of different titles, but a bunch of racing titles. So they've had a lifelong history in that. Um, you know, Vlad and team are great. They got the concept right away, and they could kind of they kind of quickly saw, okay, we see how this could work. Right. So what's great about that, we kind of worked with them. We've, we have a kind of a new version called Nitro Nation World Tour. It's actually in beta, kind of a closed beta today. And actually it'll hit some start hitting availability next week, uh, most likely with, uh, within the app stores. And, um, what's exciting about that is that, um, we've done a couple things. One, we've really worked with them to really up the graphical quality. I, I, I don't want to kind of pat ourselves on the back, but I think between our two companies, I think we have one of the best looking mobile racing games that has been made, right? And I'm not throwing shade at anybody, but we put a lot of effort into really making these things look gorgeous, right? So we're excited about that. I think we have 200 car models licensed already. And we've done something a little different. Like we've gone into all those car manufacturers um, and we've really worked with them to allow us to customize these cars, right? So the players can come in and it's not just racing it, but I own that item. I can really come in and customize heavily, heavily. Not only can I physically customize them, but I can actually go back and tune them, right? I can tune the gearbox ratios. I can tune the nitrous oxide tanks. I can tune everything. So you almost have a couple roles now in this game, right? You have like racer, you have, um, you have mechanic, you know, and, and we think there'll become some interesting social opportunities over time to where maybe one person's not good at all three, you know, or whatever. We have another concept in the game. We have a thing called workshops and those are actually on sale now. So there, there are an NFT behind the scenes 
but workshops become part of the whole social system. So if I need to get my car painted, I need to get my car upgraded, you have to go to a workshop and somebody owns that workshop, right? So you can even start banding those workshops together to almost create these little mini cities, you know? You can rent out cars, you can lease cars, you can paint cars, you can customize, you can tune them, all that type of stuff through the economics that the players are now in, you know, kind of integral in. So we think it's a lot of depth in this game. Um, we think it's going to be a really cool opportunity. They said we have hundreds and hundreds of cars licensed now at this point. The team's working on, you know, hundreds more. And, and not only that, we actually have, you know, one thing we, we have is we have our own kind of fictitious aftermarket company in the game called Doc 75, um, a, a Seattle-based car manufacturer or car uh, modif- modifier. And Doc 75 can even add parts to a lot of these cars now too. So well, kind of almost unlimited design space, very, very strong social mechanics, um, and the players are, you know, kind of in on that gameplay. They're in on the economy um, that's building within this game, right? They're figuring out how to kind of kind of be part of that. So really, really pumped. We also took a pretty interesting design element. The, the creative team at, at, um, at Activision, they really focused on almost, we kind of almost called it like NASCAR versus, well, it was drag racing, but like drag racing meets music festivals. So you'll see a lot of that pop culture coming through this game. And it'll be contents of that, that take place around these different festivals around the world. So again, just really, really tons of content and an economy that players can pretty much go as deep as they want on both the customization and participation. So pumped about where this goes. We think this is probably, we think the racing genre is, is, is perfect for these Web3 economies. Same, same thing with sports. So, so uh, yeah, we, we have a high hopes for this one. We think it's going to be amazing. Um, and again, we're, we're, we're almost out of the door. We've been in soft launch in the Philippines and Mexico for a couple months now. Um, we're opening it up to kind of everybody that's bought kind of one of these NFTs or one of these assets in the past is uh, can come into the game, uh, I think it's later today. And then um, we'll start having that availability very, very soon here. So, Awesome. Well, good luck with the launch. Um, I don't want to dig in. Obviously, we'll, maybe we can have you back, actually, um, once Nitro Nations is out there. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to hear a little bit about kind of your approach to working with third parties. Um the uh, NFL rival sounds like it was a you know an acquisition almost or an acquire of bringing the team yeah. in house and it was a third party team then became a first party team. Um, you've got a couple of these. Uh, you have another uh, title as well in the works with another uh, developer partner, I think, and, and maybe even another one. You, you tell me, you know this better than I do. Obviously, I'm just going based on public information. Um, but w- what is the relationship with these third party developers? What do the economics look like? Uh, as much as you can share, would love to hear more about what that means for you and what that means for the, the developers as you yeah. work together on these projects. Yeah. And I, I think what, what we've wanted to do is we wanted to either be kind of the developer record, um, so to speak, or working very, very tightly with studios to get it. I think that was the important part. Uh, so we didn't kind of spin too many wheels around, well, what do you mean this works this way? Right? Like we wanted to make sure we, we were very, very tight around that. So we kind of divide the world. I'd say the, and it's not just us, the industry, I think in general, first, second and third party titles, right? First party, we're the developer, we own the IP, we're, you know, we're part of that whole thing, right? So, um, you know, and generally either we would build it ourselves with a small team or we would actually out- outsource almost like a work for hire type project. So Blankus was actually a work for hire. We own that IP. Um, you know, we had a great relationship with the studio. The studio is actually a former Activision team. So we knew that team incredibly, incredibly well. It wasn't, we didn't just go pitch them. It's like we, we'd known them for 10 years. And so they were basically looking for projects. We were wanting to build Blancos together, and it's been it's been a great relationship there. Uh, so that's kind of what, you know, we own the IP. We were building the game with them. We did more of the economy tech. We did all the back end, obviously. We did a lot of the production. And then the, we actually had a team that was actually working on the client. Um, and Nitro Nation, you know, Vlad and his team are just, they're just, you know, great, great studio. And they got it right away. So we we're like, okay, cool. They own the IP, but but we're kind of partnering together. We're publishing that game, and, and we're working on a lot of those elements together. So so that's been great on that one. Um, yeah, we've had other teams that we've just kind of act, we know we're going to make this game, and we find the right team to kind of build that build that out. You know, I think uh, one of the things you know, I mean, it's it's a it's a good and bad thing in our industry is there is some turnover, right? Studios go out of business, studios change. We actually there was a sports related studio that recently kind of went out of business. And we we grabbed a lot of that team too. Like we we're like, hey, let's. Come on in, come on in, let's do something, you know, do something here. So, you know, I think that's one of the, the big advantages of being in the industry so long is it's a pretty small studio or a pretty small industry at the end of the day. You know, we all go to the same events. We've all worked on different projects before, it seems like in some capacity. So we, we try and keep a pretty good eye on who's out there right now and what that means. And, and uh, yeah, I think that's how we get a lot of our deals right now is we, we, we kind of come up with a, here's, here's a genre, here's a leverage point that we think we, would help us have an advantage to bring the game out. As, as a studio model, 
And then let's go find that team that, that, that really believes in it, understands it, and wants to, wants to really kind of change the world, right? And I think that's, that's the key. Um, you know, our focus eventually is we do want to open up all of our tools as a platform and then be like, let other people build on it. Um, we haven't fully done that, um, partly because we didn't think the playbook was solid enough. You know, we felt like if we open up all the APIs and people can just come build, we were worried that too many people would fail, you know, on it because it's just there's not a good playbook. There's not that build something that looks like this, which is how a lot of the industry is done, right? Uh, I want Clash of Clans meets this, meets this. We think that's the, you know, we didn't have that playbook yet, but I think we're getting there quickly to where we will be able to open up a lot of the tool set. And I think you'll see us get a little bit more on that platform side over time. But right now we definitely cherry pick, you know, we get a lot of proposals. We've thrown away a lot of games too. I think we've canceled mm-hmm. as many games as we put out. So at this point, so, so um, yeah, we, we uh, you know, just like any studio, we're, we're, we're looking for something we can have some type of leverage. Cause I think our goal right now is we don't want to put out a game that has less than 10 million player opportunity. I think that's right. kind of our threshold. Like if we think the game can get to 10 million. That's great. We think at least five years. We think a five-year longevity is the minimum that we'd want to go after. If we can't hit those two targets, we'll, we'll kind of toss the game. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, got to have a criteria. Okay, uh, I know we're low on time, so I got a couple more questions. I want to do quick, quick fire on if that's okay. Yep. So uh, the, the myth token. Uh, t- talk to me. Uh, yep. What does the myth token do? What's the purpose? You alluded a little bit at the start of this uh, this podcast to uh, the fact that it's kind of decentralized and it's not necessarily something you are actively working on yourself, but you. Did, it into motion, I presume. Yeah. So tell us more about the myth token. What does it do? What's its purpose? Yeah. So our, our view on tokens is we don't really necessarily believe, believe in single game tokens that are tradable, right? Like we don't think th- you think that's interesting. You know, any supply and demand in the game, you know, these are not games are not backed by military. They're not backed by oil reserves, right? They're, they're supply and demand. So we think that any single game marketable token is, is probably not right for us. But we do believe in an ecosystem token and we believe or a portfolio token, let's call it. And we definitely believe in an ecosystem token. And we're already seeing some of that happen. We're seeing where if you have a unit of exchange that is built through a marketplace and you can sell from one game and buy into another game, we think that's a very powerful mechanism. And eventually, if you can sell from one game from one company and buy into another game in another company, that's even more interesting. So, so that was kind of the partly behind that. We also wanted, we like the ideas of a token with governance reasons, for security reasons, for backing the chain reasons, all that type of stuff, which is why we helped kind of get the Mythos Foundation off the ground. Um, it was built to be decentralized, a separate organization. We just wanted to help get it off the ground and get it circulated out there. So we do have the, the Mythos token as part of the Mythos Foundation. We have adopted that token for our chain, for our marketplace. It will be the base unit of currency for everything we do. It's a fixed supply token. Um, not a lot of bells and whistles. Never been really been marketed. That, that hasn't been mm-hmm. the goal. And never did a real public sale or all those ICOs or any of that. We just started using it. And we're starting to build a lot of interesting utility against that already. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I think, and, and just to clarify, you are planning that as a kind of a single token for the entire ecosystem. You're not thinking of like the whole dual token economy piece that w- was all the vogue, you know, a couple of years ago with a governance token and a, uh, an a inflationary token. You're not planning individual tokens for individual game economies that might be interchangeable with each other. It's just, this is the token, uh-huh. at least as of now. Go ahead. Yeah, I'd, say, I'd say as of now, that it'll be the only tradable token, like externally central listed token we, we probably yeah. will be part of. Um, we are experimenting with localized um, kind of wrapped tokens that are only locked within our ecosystem, right? So you'd never mm-hmm. be able to take a Nitro token. You might be able to take a Nitro token and exchange it with NFL token, but you wouldn't like right. Nitro token would never be listed on an exchange. NFL Got would it. never be listed yeah. on an exchange, but it would be backed by that Mythos token, right? So you could exchange okay. in and out of that sense. token, not traded on their own so so it'll never be its own kind of market cap that you're tracking on on binance right it's just uh but but we do believe that there could be local tokens as long as it's backed by by an ecosystem token that makes total sense understood okay great uh second quick fire question so obviously you've raised a lot of venture funding um uh by my count or at least by public accounts about 300 million total uh most recently 37 million series c extension uh it is great to be well capitalized i'm, I'm sure you will agree with that obviously with a lot of funding come very high expectations for yeah. outcomes uh yep. venture size outcomes so uh just the obvious question here how are you going to hit those expectations what are your plans for the funding and how are you going to get to that expectation level that yeah. I'm sure is, is part of these conversations. Yeah, yes, that's a great question. So, you know, I think, I think, you know, right now, I think we're mostly known for this kind of, kind of the couple games, the couple games that are out and uh, the chain and, and the marketplace tech. Um, that's, that's our primary focus right now. Um, we, so that's where we put a lot of funding into that. 
you know, we help you get the foundation off the ground. I mean, we, we think that there's a lot of great things happening. You know, a couple of things on that too, is that, you know, we've actually been pretty focused on trying to get to a break even or profitable state. I think we're, we're getting there very quickly, which is great. You know, I'd say either end of year or Q1, we think we'll be in a break-even position, which is awesome. And a break-even awesome. position on a, on a very healthy, you know, we're already, we're already doing about, you know, we're doing about 40 million a month in sales already. So we're, nice. we're you know, going, going $40 million are going through or through the products uh, on, on, a, on a monthly basis, which is a great place to be at right now. Um, you know, we want to get that net revenue now kind of to, to the levels where we can break even the entire company. And that's been a, a key focus of ours. Um, we actually have another couple of products that we, we, we've been thinking about. We kind of think, you know, we've been kind of calling it recently. Um, you know, we've been focused very much on what we call Web3 now. We've also been that we have a streaming company we acquired um, called uh, Polystream back at the end of 2021. Very, very interesting cloud gaming tech. Um, you Very unique. Uh, only one in the world that has this. We, we bought that company and I have all those patents. I'd say so that it's a very interesting way of how you do cloud gaming. We can do it at a fraction of a cost of a, what Stadia or or xCloud or any of the other ones can do. So to me, we, we're, we're now kind of calling that Web 3D, right? So it's kind of like you start off with the Web 3, that becomes digital identity, assets, marketplace, and then you start getting new forms of how you distribute games, how do you watch games, and if you can start instantly getting into games um, with these economies that start moving you through those, it starts getting really fascinating. And we, we just started showing off a demo. We haven't publicly, officially showed it. We showed it at a conference and somebody put it up on Twitter already. But basically, we have a demo of this tech. We call it the HTTP of the metaverse to where we have a demo to where we can stream two games, right? And so we're streaming Blancos, which is a Unity game. And in that, suddenly a portal opens, almost Doctor Strange style. And you can actually see an Unreal 4 game running live inside of Unity. And if I walk through that portal, you instantly take control of the other game with no, mm. no latency at all. So you can literally move from one game engine to one game into another game engine to another game. So we actually think some really interesting things there, and that, that'll probably be our next kind of formal product. We're very close to getting our first couple of clients signed. I think you'll probably see a client live in the next, you know, by the end of the year on this new tech. And, and for us, it, for us, it's the next step, right? It, it changes distribution. It changes how games can be kind of interacting with other games, things like that. And then that core root is Web3 behind the scenes. So definitely focused a lot on that. I think there's even one other product we'd love to bring out in the next few years. So I think right now we as Mythical, we have we have we have easily a five-year roadmap of where we want to be. We have the core team kind of behind it. Our goals break even on the first product, and then products two and three, we can start investing in heavier um, as, as we grow. But they're all pretty complementary products over time. And our goal again, we're we're trying to build next generation gaming. So that's 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 the ultimate goal of what we're trying to do at Mythical. Love it, love it. And then final question, I know we're out of time here, so I'll make this really quick. Um, fast forward five years from now. Um, what does success look like for Mythical? For, 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 for Mythical? Guys? For the industry? For, for Mythical? Whoa, both. I mean, both. Yeah, Mythical Mythical to start with. Yeah, um, I mean... And then industry beyond that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're about to see... I'm going to start actually the start of the industry and I'll kind of play our play into that industry. So I think the industry is going to go through a massive amount of change over the next 10 years. I think it's going to be the most exciting. I've been in it for, you know, over a decade. I think the next decade of gaming is going to be really, really interesting because I think we're going to see what the definition of what is a game and what is entertainment and interactive entertainment is going to, is going to really blend. And I mean, things like we're seeing with AI, I think we'll start seeing that the velocity, the, the rapid you know, velocity we've seen on AI over the last you know 18 months. I think we're going to see that in gaming as well. And we're going to see new worlds, um, new creations, new ways to interact, new ways to be part of that, new ways to be entrepreneurial in that. I think that creator economy meets entertainment meets you know gaming will blend in a big way and i think ultimately we kind of end up with a 3d internet over time right so so people call it metaverse i hate the word metaverse just because everybody has a definition for it so i'm going to use the word 3d internet i think we we head to a 3d internet right and that's just going to change a lot of really cool stuff you know how i interact how i move so i think that's where the industry is going i think we're going to see just the the proliferation of ai but i think blockchain is as important to ai too right because it's that it's the ledger, right? It says who's what and who owns what and where's the digital supply chain. So I think we're going to see a huge, huge opportunity around that. And I think we'll see the industry grow even faster than, than what is being predicted out there. Where does Mythical fit in? I think we really want to position ourselves as that next generation um, kind of thinker and provider, right? And so I think we're thinking about things about what does streaming mean? And how do you, if you can jump from live stream, if you can jump from watching the game into immediately playing the game because they're both streamed, right? You start shifting 
a lot of dynamics around games. And if you can suddenly move items down the road, right, or you're, you, you can track across. And so all this stuff, I think, comes together very naturally over time, whether your identity, your assets, your wallet, your, your ability to move between devices and all that type of stuff becomes um, just second, second nature. And I think we'll see what is entertainment will be redefined a little bit. So we want to be that, we want to be that provider. We want to focus on a lot of that, those, those core, core tools. And we want to get that out into, you know, other companies so that we can really start seeing these, these progressions happen. Love it. Uh, love the vision. Uh, I know we're over time here, so I just want to respect that and uh, kind of wrap this up here. So I just want to say a huge thank you, John, uh, for coming on the pod. Uh, it has been incredible to hear about your vision for Mythical. Uh, it has also been a real pleasure chatting with you. Your energy is uh, infectious. And so welcome back anytime. I would love to hear how things are going with Nitro Nations and uh, the token and anything else that you guys have going on. So welcome back anytime. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. And a big thank you, of course, as always, to all of our listeners. We'll be back next week with more interviews, more insights, and more analysis from the weird and wonderful world of Web3 uh, and gaming more broadly. So until next time, friends, stay crypto curious and feel free to send questions, guest recommendations, and comments to me. My email is nico at novic.co. And you can always find me on Twitter, or I believe it's X these days, uh, at nico the fin. DMs are always open. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.